It is 5.30 Eastern time on a Friday right here on CNBC, and that can only mean one thing. It is time for Options Action. Here's what's coming up on the show. Banking on a breakout. The financials were on fire this week, and Tony Zhang has the one name you can play to cash in. Plus, if you think the market has come too far too fast, Mike Coe has a way to take some protection on the cheap. And... Do the dog days of summer have you feeling tired, run down, and listless? Well, you're not alone. The Chartmaster is drilling down on the one sector running low on energy. How you can play it for a jolt. It's time to risk less and make more. Options action starts right now. All right, well, hopefully the dog days haven't you gotten it down too much. It is Friday, after all. Why not? 2.30 out in the West Coast. Let's get right now to it. It was a record week on Wall Street. That should give you some energy, right? And a remarkable week for the Federal Reserve as well. The Nasdaq and S&P 500 hitting fresh all-time highs, while the Dow turning positive for the year. Look at that. All this after the Fed made a major policy shift, essentially saying they're going to allow inflation to kind of run hotter than normal to help the American economy. Jobs over inflation headline. That news was big in the bond market. The 10-year yield hitting its highest level since June, while the yield curve steepened sharply. And Tony Zhang says there is only one stock that could be a big winner from all this, or at least one stock that could. Tony, who is it? Take it away. Yeah, I wanted to take a look at Morgan Stanley because of this pickup in rates that you just specified on the long end of the curve. I think that's going to provide some support here for a rally here for financials. So if we take a look at the chart of Morgan Stanley, it's one of the strongest out of the major banks from a relative strength perspective, easily outperforming the sector here since the beginning of March. And if you couple that with the recent triple top here at 53 and the triangle formation that we currently have, I think the stock is primed for that breakout here above that $53 level. Now, if you look at Morgan Stanley's business, they've built a really well-diversified, strong business around their wealth management division. And these, and with the strong capital ratios they have, the really only major headwind they have here is, is interest rates. So by looking at the rate curve here, the recent uptick in terms of inflation expectations that we've seen and the Fed policy this week, that's driven the long end of the curve substantially higher while the Fed's policy is keeping the short end of the curve basically near zero. So when you have this steepening of the curve that we've seen here over the past month, that's going to reduce some of the headwinds that we see here for Maureen Stanley. So the trade setup that I have here is a trade structure that, number one, is trying to capture this potential breakout here above 53, and also taking into account for the fact that the implied volatility percentile of Morgan Stanley here sits at 13%, so relatively low. I'm using, going out to October, and I'm buying a 52 and a half, 57 and a half vertical spread here, paying about $2 and uh, $2.75, it's $2.70 for the 52 and a half, Collecting about 95 cents for that 57 and a half. Net net here, I'm paying about a dollar 75 debit for this $5 wide debit spread, which is only about 3% of the underlying stock price betting for this breakout here higher on this steepening rate curve. All right, good stuff there on Morgan Stanley. Mike, you laid out a lot of reasons, a lot of reasons, technical, fundamental, etc. Why I like Morgan Stanley. What is your take on Tony's trade? Yeah, so from the fundamental standpoint, I mean, there's not a lot of places where you can buy companies right now at just over one times tangible book. That's about where Morgan Stanley is trading. 
at less than 11 times full year estimated earnings. And as he pointed out, because their wealth management business is a big part of their strategy and they do have a fairly strong balance sheet, as asset prices increase, one can assume that the fees that they're going to earn on the assets that they manage are also going to increase. So I do like Morgan Stanley. The one thing I would say about the trade, and I like buying the at-the-money calls because obviously the closer to at-the-money you get, the higher the probability of profit on the rise. I just would probably hold off on selling personally that higher strike call. You know, right now the market is obviously running exceptionally hot. If you do start to see a big move, you can either roll the position that you have or sell some calls against it. But fundamentally, I like Morgan Stanley a lot. I like the setup, and uh, so I think this is a good opportunity. All right, let me flip it with this, though, Mike. Fundamentally, do you like what the Federal Reserve did and what the Federal Reserve said? Well, what the Federal Reserve said is pretty interesting, right? We always have, we've basically been dealing with Fed speak since Alan Greenspan, and we have to try to interpret what they mean. When we heard Kaplan speak earlier this week, one of the things he talked about was restraint, and what he really was talking about was restraining themselves from taking their foot off of the accelerator pedal, and that's essentially what they're doing. And as long as they do that, it's not just financials that you have to concern yourself with, but essentially they're encouraging you to buy all-risk assets. So, you know, I don't really feel that the Fed or any central bank at this point has much of a choice. When they keep talking about policy, what they're suggesting is that they have a lot of options open to them, and they're just trying to choose the best course. I actually don't think that they have much of a course, and we're all just going to have to live with the consequences of that. But I'm not surprised by the language that they're using to describe what they're up to. Yeah, good stuff there. Carter, your take on either the Fed, sure. Tony's trade, all the financials, I mean, the yield curve? All of it. Or all the above? You bet. I mean, all the above. I mean, uh, you know, Mike was just talking about, the, you know, what is their plan. Look, the, there is no difference between 62 basis points on the 10-year, 78 48, 98, uh, rates are basically uh, at zero, if you will. And yes, there's been a steepening. I think the key thing here is, look, Morgan Stanley is just a better operator right now in the market. Tony laid out uh, the technical perspective there. It is a, it is a coiled spring. Uh, just compare it to Goldman Sachs. I mean, year to date, Morgan Stanley up 3.5%, Goldman down 9.7%. I mean, that's its direct comp. Uh, it's the only really important sort of broker-dealer or bank that's up on the year. All the other financials that are up are things like BlackRock or insurance companies or uh, rating agencies like Moody's. I mean, of the 66 stocks in the S&P 500 uh, financial sector, only 15 are up, and Morgan Stanley being the only real bank, if you will. But the technicals look great. It is a, it is a lot of tension. Importantly here, though, this is a stock that even if and as it breaks out and gets back to its January high, which is at 57.50, its all-time high is still long ago. Uh, there's much work to be done for financials in general. Yeah, I mean, we didn't even mention the fact that Wells Fargo, maybe for a different show, is down 54% in a year, maybe the most important stock out there. But a good discussion on Morgan Stanley, some bullish comments there, and also the Fed. Well, the Fed, of course, is a big piece of the puzzle, but it's still just a piece of the puzzle. By the way, we're also just 66 days, 6 hours, 22 minutes, and 20 seconds away from the presidential election. And the options market is pricing into potential major volatility heading into November. But Mike has a way to navigate that in his call to action. Mike. Yeah, so, you know, it's interesting. I mean, we were just talking about financials, and usually when we talk about the market, we talk about the S&P, yet when we talk about stocks, 
we're really talking about the biggest constituents of the year's best performing index, and that's the NASDAQ 100. You take a look at the top stocks in that. We're talking now about Apple and Amazon, Microsoft, Tesla, Netflix. These are the types of names in Alphabet, of course, these and Facebook. These represent essentially 50% of that index. They're the most broadly held stocks. They're the best performing stocks. And here we are trading at all-time highs and valuations for the NASDAQ are trading maybe 32 times forward earnings. That's considerably higher than the 21 or 22 percent that's averaged over the last 10 years or so. So when you look at that situation, but then you combine it with the fact that if you sell your stocks right now, you're selling the biggest winners in the economy. You would be selling against the Fed's wishes. They're essentially encouraging us to be long risk assets. And then we've got the election coming up. And it's true exactly what you said. When we take a look at the implied volatility in the indices, what we can see is that the options market is basically predicting a pretty big spike in volatility around the election. And in fact, we are seeing that some indications that there might be some prolonged volatility into the end of December, maybe into January. So what do you do if you can't sell your stocks? You have big gains in your stocks, but you know that volatility could be coming. Well, that is the perfect opportunity to hedge. So I was taking a look at the QQQs because that's the ETF that represents the NASDAQ 100. So whether you own some of the stocks I mentioned or others that are correlated to them or you own the NASDAQ itself, this is a good instrument to use as a proxy to hedge. Now, I'm not saying that the market's going to just roll over here. What I wanted to have was some protection against a bigger downside move if that's what we get. So I was looking out to November so I could also capture that election. I was looking at the 275 250 put spread. When I was looking at that earlier today, you could buy those 275 puts for a little over $12, sell the 250s against it for about six. Net, net, you're going to end up spending about $6.60. Now, I want you to think about something. If you held the queues, that's approximately how much they're up in just the last three days. So you're sacrificing mm -hmm. only the most recent gains to buy yourself a little bit of protection in the event that the options yeah. market's predictions of increased volatility come to pass. Yeah, I, okay, a lot of complicated stuff there, Tony. The one thing I like about it was Mike just said, basically, you're just playing with free money. If you've been in the market for three days, the queues, you're just playing on that found money. Overall, what do you think of the trade? Uh, that's exactly right. Well, during market tops, buying puts are relatively cheap. And I do think that this is one of the toughest trades to actually put on because you could have put on any type of hedge like this starting beginning of June and you would have lost that premium because it's hard to fight this bullish trend. But also as an investor, when you see these types of stretch valuations, when you see these types of warning signs of markets being exhausted and, and leadership continuing to narrow, I think it's difficult not to seek this type of protection, especially since, as Mike said, you're only giving up roughly three days worth of gains to pay for it. Um, the only thing I would add is that you can potentially, if you own the queues, you could potentially look out to October and maybe sell some upside calls. I was looking out to October, selling the 310 calls, which still give you another 6.5% upside here over the next 50 days, will collect $5 in premium, which will pay for this put spread that, or almost, almost 80, 90% of the put spread that Mike has laid out here. So that's another way that you can offset some of the premium here for that. Okay. Well, for everything Options Action, you can check out our website, which is optionsaction.cnbc.com. And of course, while you're there, you might have heard about this newsletter. You can sign up for it. In the meantime, we're not done. Here's what's coming up next. It's a major sign of the times. After nearly 100 years in the Dow, 
Exxon is getting the boot. And the Chartmaster isn't surprised. Why Carter Worth says big oil could be in big trouble. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at Options Action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when Options Action returns. Hi, right, welcome back to Options Action. Well, big changes are coming to the big board after nearly 100 years on the Dow. ExxonMobil, longest standing Dow company, is getting the boot. The change will take place on Monday morning, and Carter says that could just be the start of some big pain for big energy. I would say it's, it's more pain for big energy, Carter, because it's pretty much been a decade with no investor gains. But what do the charts show now? Yeah, not the start of the pain, no, sir. Pain has been long-standing, and there's more to come, nothing to do with starting. So let's look at a few charts and tables. The first, this is a comparative chart of the XLE, the S&P 500 energy sector versus crude oil. And you can see they're fairly correlated. They both plunge in March with all equities, and they both recover. But energy, the commodity, has continued to recover while energy stocks are not. You can see the divergence there. Now look at the second comparative chart. It's a four-year chart. Look at, again, how well these two instruments tracked, which makes sense, right? The energy stocks do well when the commodity uh, is up versus down. And then the divergence. And so this is the issue. How rare is this circumstance? Take a look at the next slide. We have a three-month spread between the commodity and the energy sector that's greater than 35%. Now, that has only happened 13 times on any rolling three-month period going back to 1990. That's an incident rate of 0.16%. This is exceedingly rare. So what happens? Take a look at the next slide. What happens, history shows, is that one would think, well, if the commodity is going up, the energy stocks will play catch-up. Actually, it's the opposite. This shows you the performance of the energy sector one, three, six, and 12 months later. You can see the statistics they're very clear on the screen. It does not imply good things for energy. Next chart. This is simply the XLE. It is, again, the vehicle to use if one wants to buy or sell energy as a theme. No drawings or annotations by me. And finally, XLE chart with drawings and lines. We've worked ourselves into a well-defined wedge, and we are breaking down. So. A couple of things. Energy is not really a sector anymore. It's almost like telco. There was AT&T and Verizon. In this case, Exxon and Chevron are half the weight of the sector, and all of the sector, all the other stocks, only add up to 3% of the S&P. Either way, we don't like it. Yeah, that's amazing. Just all those stats, including what, three times in 30-some you know, years on that divergence. Uh, Mike, your comment on Carter, I mean, very well researched and executed, of course. Detailed information there. Do you see any trade in energy at all? Well, not on the long side right now. I, I think it was Jim Cramer a while back said yeah. that energy was essentially uninvestable at this point, and I'm inclined to agree with him. And this is a situation where when we're looking at options to try to trade it, one of the things that we're looking at, of course, is that this is a relatively volatile sector now. A lot of these balance sheets become increasingly leveraged. Now, of course, the integrated oils may be a little bit less so than some of the E&P companies and other businesses that are servicing, for example, the Permian. But it is a very distressed industry. And, of course, the very low cost of capital that many businesses have 
aren't necessarily going to be enjoyed by some of the peripheral companies here. But if we're just going to focus on these companies that are at the top of it, that he's talking about, the integrated oil companies, we're still seeing that options premiums are relatively elevated. So I think what we want to do is use a put spread. I was looking at the October 35 30 put spread. The October 35 puts were about $1.65 when I was looking at those earlier today. And the 30 strike puts were about 40 cents. And 40 cents may not sound like a lot, but consider that's more than 1% the value of the ETF right there. And of course, those 30 strike puts are considerably out of the money. So I think this is a way we can spend about $1.25 to make that bearish bet. The lower strike put helps offset some of that decay. And, you know, really what we have is a situation, it's hard to short stocks that have been so distressed. You really can only use options if you're trying to press a bearish bet here. Yeah, okay, pressing that bet. Tony, what's your take on the trade? So I agree with Carter's charts here, but the main theme here is really the underperformance of XLE, not just in the short term, but over the last few years. That's really the theme here. I don't particularly have a strong view in terms of the directional view of crude prices, but if you look at the implied volatility of crude oil and the historical volatility is currently trading at a 1% percentile over the last 52 weeks. So implied volatility of the of oil is actually particularly low. So if you do get a pickup here in volatility, I do like Mike's trade here because he's only risking about three and a half percent of the ETF's value to take a bearish bet. All right, Tony, thank you very much. Interesting trade there on XLE. All right, up next, nailed it. One of those guys laid out a very bullish home improvement trade last week and the stock rallied to all-time highs. What was the trade? What's he doing now? We're going to find out. And of course, or to take some of your tweets, send us your questions to at Options Action on the Twitter. We're going to answer some of them on the air, and we're back by that today. All right, welcome back to Options Action. It is time now to look back at some of our open trades. Last week, Tony Zhang said shares of Home Depot were about to break out. Earnings actually knocked the stock down a little bit towards its 20-day moving average, which for me is a much better entry point for a long position here for Home Depot. The trade I'm looking to make here is going out to the October 2nd weekly options. I'm selling the 277.5, 262.5 put vertical here, collecting about $5.90 for this $15 wide credit spread. All right, well, Tony, you nailed it. Home Depot surging to new all-time highs. So what are you doing with that trade now? So as I said, the, the pullback to the 20-day moving average, the stock has moved nicely off of that. However, this is a trade that's still in play. I'm, this is going out to the October 2nd expiration. I'm still holding on to this trade, looking for Home Depot to continue to rise here over the next few weeks. All right. Well, let's move on. Congrats, Tony, on that. By the way, earlier this month, Mike laid out a bearish retail play heading into that company's earnings. This counter trend move on the bottom panel, this relative outperformance period, every time we've gotten to the trend line, it has failed. And you can see those arrows I've uh, drawn there annotated the chart. The bet here is it's going to fail again as a relative outperformer and start to falter. I was looking out to the October 2nd weekly, 50 strike puts. Those were trading for about $1.85 when I was looking. The idea here is I'm trying to be able to carry through Labor Day, through September, sometimes an uptick in volatility. I saw the first part of the video, I thought, well, Mike, how you've changed. The XRT retail ETF actually bouncing higher since that trade 
So Mike, and then we'll get to Carter. What now? Yeah, so for, first of all, I will say that we do often see an uptick in volatility in September. And for all of the reasons I was highlighting with the QQQ put spread, I'm inclined actually to stay with this. We didn't risk a great deal when we bought those puts. They were quite cheap actually at the time, and they're a little bit cheaper now, of course, since XRT has rallied. So I'm going to stay in them. Okay, what about you, Carter? He's staying. Uh, for, sh for sure. I mean, we've had big moves out of big names like Walmart and Target, and still XRT is basically unch over the past week. We don't think there's any ammo to go higher. Okay, there you go. Good stuff on the XRT Watch and Retail. Up next, your tweets and the final call. Stick around. All right, let's wrap it up here in Options Action by taking some of your tweets. Our first viewer asked this. About a month ago, Carter pointed out Kraft Heinz has a tremendous opportunity. And while it has shown some signs of life, it has not been that great of a trade thus far. Is it still a good opportunity? And if so, what is the options trade to use, Carter? Sure. So this is, uh, I think, the greatest turnaround opportunity that might exist in the market. You're talking about a $100 stock that plunged to 20 And then key is it's made this move from 20 to the mid-30s. And that often is the foreshadowing of more to come. And so... Uh, if your options trade has expired or you've run out of time, roll it out. I would leave that to my teammate, my co, but I'd buy time and I would expect very good things to come. Yeah, it's bounced off the lows pretty nicely, but still maybe having a long way to go. A long way back to 100, maybe, by the way. All right. Our next viewer asked this. I bought a March 21st 500 call on Apple and I'm up, you know, just 175%. <coughs> Bragging. I'm still bullish, though, in general. How long before a call expiration? So far into the future, should I exit before time decay, Mike, starts to hurt him? You don't have to worry just yet on this one, but what you can do is sell some out-of-the-money upside calls of shorter expiration to offset some of the decay you're currently experiencing. Yep. All right, guys, thanks. Great show. Thanks for taking it easy on me. That does it for us here on Options Action. We will see you next Friday, 530. Don't go anywhere because summer school starts right now. Back in session with Frank and the gang. Have a great weekend.